Well, this morning we recognize the passing of another year and the birth of a new one. And at New Year's Eve, we often pause and reflect on the time that has passed and the time that lies before us, something that we ought to do more than once every 12 months. You know, as I was thinking this morning, uh, we don't know how much time we have left. You know, as I stand here in this pulpit, this may be my last sermon before I stand before my King and my Savior. It may be. This may be, as you sit in the pew, this may be the last sermon that you hear on this earth before you stand before God. And so that being the case, how should we live today? How should we hear in this moment? God's word to us this morning has a timely lesson about time. As God recorded wisdom from above through the pen of his servant Moses, and it's reflected in one of the Psalms this morning, a Psalm on time and on eternity. So without further delay, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 90. Psalm 90 this morning will be our our uh, text. We'll, we'll read the whole psalm, but we're going to focus on Psalm 90 and verse 12. But for the sake of context, let's read the whole psalm this morning. Psalm 90, if you're using the Pew Bible, you can find this uh, text on page 465. Page 465. Psalm 90. And as you find this passage, I want to invite you, if you're able, please stand for the reading of God's holy and infallible word. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or by reason of strength eighty, Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, 
and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You may be seated. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. We see this in this verse, verse 12, a petition to the Lord for instruction. Lord, teach us so that we may live wisely with the time that we do have. But in order to feel the the weight of urgency in this petition, I've, I've had us read the whole psalm. Because this verse, verse 12, it begins with the word so. So teach us to number our days. This signals to us that this, this request for God's teaching, it, it arises because of certain reasons. Because of all of these things, so teach us to number our days. Now this psalm is a, a psalm written by Moses. It's a psalm that seems to be one of intercession, where he's, he's speaking on behalf of others, praying for them. And Moses, as we know, he often interceded with God on behalf of the rebellious nation of Israel. And it was often because of his prayers that they were spared from being wiped off the face of the earth for their treason against their king, against King Jehovah. This psalm is, may be set against the backdrop of of Israel wandering through the wilderness, leaving behind them a trail of tombstones as that rebellious generation that God had sworn that they would not enter the promised land because of their unbelief, their their stubbornness in disobeying God. And uh, Moses would have been a man who lived among funerals, as that entire generation in those 40 years passed away, save for two people. And, and the next generation would enter the promised land. So Moses would, would have been someone very familiar with death. And we see that in this psalm. We see the, the, the realness of sin and of the judgment against sin, the wages of sin, the scriptures say, are death, is death. And we also see the the eternity of God and the, the shortness of life. So these are the considerations that give rise to this prayer in verse 12. So teach us to number our days. To to sum it up, life is short, death is certain, God's wrath is fearful. We are sinners, foolish sinners who need God's wisdom. And yet the Lord can give us that wisdom that we lack. He can give us favor and joy and and lasting meaning and purpose in this life and in eternity. So here's, if, if we were to kind of summarize the the prayer in verse 12 in light of the rest of the psalm, it would be this. Because life is short, death is certain, 
God's wrath is fearful and we are foolish sinners. We need God's gracious teaching so that we'll use the time we have wisely. Because life is short, death is certain, God's wrath is fearful, and we are foolish sinners. We need God's gracious teaching so that we will use the time that we have wisely. And this, this will we'll break this uh, statement up into five main points this morning. First of all, let's consider that life is short. Life is short. The psalm from which our, our verse is taken, Psalm 90, it speaks of God's eternality, that he is, he is before the mountains were brought forth. In the beginning, God was from eternity to eternity. But of man, it, it is written that the years of our life are, are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80, and yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. The sands of our life sink down through the hourglass of time, second by second, minute by minute, never to be recovered, never to be retrieved or replayed. Like water poured from a pitcher onto the soil, there's no getting it back once it's gone. 2022, you will never have 2022 again. This, this year is, is, is over. It's gone. It's past. And what was done in it? You know, as, as I was thinking about this, we're closer to eternity in this moment than we've ever been. Closer to death than we'll ever be. Than we've ever been. Each moment brings that day closer, that moment closer, our appointment with eternity, with the throne of God. So we get about 70 years, or perhaps 80. Some of us more, some of us less, a few decades. Life is short. What will the whole span of our lives be once we have entered the realm of timelessness, of eternity? We'll look back and it'll seem like a dream, like a, like a passing vapor, like the mist that vanishes at dawn. Who can measure eternity? We can't even, we can't even fathom eternity. Can you imagine no ending, continual existence, so that, you know, once 10 million decades and centuries have passed, it says nothing. It's just the beginning. It's, it's not even the beginning. No time. Simply eternity. Friend, you and I, God has made us eternal. We will exist somewhere for eternity. In heaven or in hell. There's no more frightful thought if, if hell is our destination than that hell is eternal. I mean, no matter how painful and miserable hell would be, it would be bearable if we could think that as each moment passed, at least we're a little closer to the end of our suffering. But imagine the horror if after 10 trillion years, we're no closer to the end of our suffering than the first moment the flames touched our flesh. 
But imagine the joy of heaven, a joy that is unfading, incorruptible, undefiled, a joy that only grows with time. And then there's no creeping melancholy in the back of our minds that soon these joys will come to an end. No, these joys will never end. They will continue on and only grow for all of eternity. What is our life? This, this little short, just incomprehensibly short blip of time upon which our eternity depends. How will you live your life? Will you live your life in such a way that you'll be ready for eternity? Are you ready for eternity? Psalm 90 in verse 3 shows us, it says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. That brings us to our second point. Not only is life short, but death is certain. Death is certain because the Almighty God has determined it to be so. He told our first parents that if they ate of the tree, they would die. And God doesn't lie, does He? By, by sin came death, the Scriptures say. Death cannot be escaped. As, as it says in Hebrews 9.27, it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. Each person in this room, each of us, you have an appointment with death. And you don't know when it will be. But when that time comes, there will be no escaping it. It has come to all before us, except for two people. Enoch and Elijah, whom God took up to heaven. But for the, for the rest of us, generation after generation has risen up like waves on the shores of this earth, the greatest generation, the baby boomers, the millennials, the Gen Z, all of these like, like wave after wave, they'll have their moments and then they'll be swept away and another generation will take their place. Death comes to all, it has come to all. The same fate befalls all of us. No generation has remained and none will. Death comes to the poor forgotten beggar, the untouchable who sits in filth in the shadows of the back alleys of Mumbai. Just as surely as it comes to the, the rich president of a nation, death is no respecter of persons. It can take the, the beggar on the, on the streets. It will take the beggar on the streets. That person is not overlooked. And the wealthy landowner in Los Angeles, the, the rich banker in New York, all of their wealth cannot stave off their appointment with death. Death is certain. It cannot be escaped. And none of us is sure when our appointment with death will be. For some of us, this year may be our last. For some, this week may be our last. Who can tell? Who can tell? You know, the Mississippi State football coach just passed away uh, just this past month, Mike Leach. And he was in the midst of his coaching career. He hadn't even retired yet. Suddenly, 
He was taken to the hospital, and next thing you know, he, he died. But death comes even to the, the young and the strong and the healthy. You might, you might go to the gym often, but there have been professional athletes that have been found dead in their rooms with no apparent cause. I was talking to someone last night, and he said one of his friends, he got a phone call one day, and, and somebody called him and said, hey, so-and-so just, just died, just dropped dead at work. None of us can tell when our time will be. But one thing we can tell, 10 out of 10 people die. But next, let's consider that we need the Lord to teach us to number our days, not only because life is short and death is certain, but also because God's wrath is fearful. God's wrath is fearful. This is our third point this, this morning. Look at verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Or, or as some translations have it, according to the fear that is due you. In other words, who makes a right calculation of the power of God's wrath, his anger, his just and holy and righteous indignation against evil, against sin? Who can estimate that? And the assumption of this question is that, of course, no one can, no one does. No one rightly estimates the power of the anger of the Almighty, of the one who is thrice holy. Meteorologists may calculate the wind speed of a tornado or a hurricane, but who can measure the power of God's wrath against sin? The displeasure of an infinitely holy God against that which is unholy. And we, we, you know, we see death, we see how horrible it is, and yet death is but the first wind gust of the mighty storm of his wrath against sin. You know, we're familiar with certain phobias that people have, you know, fears of spiders. My wife is afraid of bugs, if there's a bug in the house. I, I think she's maybe a little too scared of bugs. But we, we, we kind of laugh. You know, we, we look at people's phobias, and, and sometimes we're like, okay, that's, that's a little too much, you know? Like, we, we try to be sensitive and patient with people, but, you know, that, that tight space is not going to kill you. Just, just calm down and breathe. But... Often, though, though we're more afraid than we need to be, when it, comes, when it comes to the fear of God's wrath, no one is as afraid as they should be. No one has ever feared God as much as he is worthy to be feared when it comes to his, his anger against sin. No one rightly considers and calculates the power of his anger. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. And this is part of our sinful condition. Romans 3.19 describes fallen humanity, and it says that there is no fear of God before their eyes. That's part of our sin condition, is that we sin and we have no respect, very little respect, for the justice that our sin deserves and God's ability to punish that sin. We care little for the thundering of God's wrath and continue to sin 
as though there were no God and no storm of justice coming. And yet God has fired many a warning shot. He's left ample record that he will judge and sin will be punished. Consider the flood. The flood wasn't pretty. It wasn't a bunch of smiling little animals on a, on a big tub in the ocean. It was a scene of, of mass death, the whole earth being drowned. Consider Sodom and Gomorrah. Where are those prosperous cities of old? Go today and see the outline of their ruins in the parched desert sands and, and smell the sulfur. The fields that once were green and lush and teemed with life now littered with sulfur, a sobering reminder of the hell that rained down from heaven upon those evil cities. Or look into the New Testament and hear the warnings of Jesus. As he said in Luke 13, he says, you know, those 18 people on whom the, the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Jesus said, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And the death and disaster that we witness in this world is but the beginning. It's but the beginning for those who remain without the pardoning blood shed at Calvary. What of the eternal fire, the inheritance of those who do not repent and believe on the Lord Jesus, which, which Jesus described as that place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, that place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, that outer darkness. Jesus warned. He warned and warned and warned about the danger that awaits those who do not repent. God's wrath is fearful. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. But the next reason why we need, we need God's gracious teaching so that we'll use the time we have wisely is that we're not wise in and of ourselves. This is our, our fourth point. We are we are foolish sinners in our fallen nature. We are foolish sinners apart from the Lord's intervention and his instruction. We lack a heart of wisdom. That's why this prayer is uttered in verse 12. Lord, help us to consider these things and teach us. Lord, teach us so that we will get a heart of wisdom. Because otherwise, we won't have a heart of wisdom. We'll, be, we'll remain foolish will remain foolish. You know, we would, think a, we would think a little boy to be really foolish if he was taking a, you know, a, a stick and jabbing a full-grown German shepherd. We'd say, you know, that's, that's, really, that's really dumb. We would not be surprised if after a while that German shepherd had had enough and turned around and bit him. It was a foolish game to begin with, and what could be expected? But how much more foolish are human beings who provoke their maker by breaking his laws? He who upholds their very life moment by moment and gives their heart to beat and their lungs to breathe his air. 
We would think a man to be a fool who tries to to flirt with the wife of an MMA fighter right in front of him. You know, we think, you know, how foolish. It's no wonder that he ends up on the ground with a bloody nose. We would think someone to be a fool to commit assault and rob someone right in front of the police station. And yet, how foolish are we as human beings who break God's laws and think to escape his justice, to escape the eyes of him who sees all and knows all and judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart? Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. God will judge not only what you do, but he will even judge the thoughts that you think, the imaginations that you fantasize but never act upon, the angry words that you never utter. God judges our actions and he will judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Our secret sins are brought before his presence. Psalm 8 says, you have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. In our fallen condition, we do not live for the glory of the one who made us. And we rather, we rather steal the worship that belongs to the Most High and we bestow it on other things. We live for money, for power, for pleasure. We take God's gifts and we make those ultimate things. We take things that God has given us to enjoy and we put those in the place of God and and live for those things. We get more excited about them than we get about God. We think more about them and spend more time and money and energy on them than we spend on God and His kingdom. We use the bodies that God gives us and the energy and strength he provides and we, we spend our days and our lives in selfishness. And even the good works that we do when we seem to be serving others, how often are these good works tainted with motives of selfish pride and desire for self-exaltation and respect from others? You know, I struggle with this every time I get up here to preach. Why am I preaching? so that people will respect me. So often we have to repent of our prayers. Our only hope is the gospel. Our only hope is the righteousness of Christ. Our only hope is the promise of the new covenant that that for those who are brought into the new covenant with God through faith in Christ and the crucified and risen Savior, Here's what, here's what God's word says of them, that he will be merciful toward their iniquities and remember their sins no more. Think of it, God remembering your sins no more because they have been forgiven. God's justice has been satisfied by the blood of Christ who died in the place of sinners. Is Christ your hope this morning? Or are you trusting that, that hopefully you can live a good enough life that when you stand before God, you'll have done just enough? That is a vain hope. That's, that'll damn you. That'll land you in hell forever. But trust Christ and his finished 
work of righteousness, his death on the cross, his perfect obedience to the law which you've broken. That is our only hope. That's our only hope. Lord, teach us to number our days, to get a heart of wisdom, and let that begin by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. And may he be our wisdom and our righteousness and our sanctification, our redemption. Have you made peace with God through the sacrifice he has appointed this morning? Let that be the first thing you do in 2023 if if you haven't. Make sure that you are reconciled to God, that you have peace with God. If you aren't sure, don't put that off. The Bible says that we may know that we have eternal life. Life is short. Death is certain. God's wrath is fearful. And we are foolish sinners. And therefore, we need God's gracious teaching so that we will use the time that we have wisely. And this brings us to our fifth point this morning, the prayer of verse 12, which is that God would graciously teach us to number our days, to use the time we have wisely. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What is it to number our days? You know, is this just like having a calendar, you know, marking off the days you've lived? Well, one wise old man put it well. He he wrote that, quote, to number our days is not simply to take the reckoning and and measurement of human life. This has already been done, even here in in this psalm, where it is said, the days of our years are 70, or perhaps 80. But to number our days is to take a measure of our days as compared with the work to be performed, with the provision to be laid up for eternity, with the preparation to be made for death, and with the precaution to be taken against judgment. It is to estimate human life by the purposes to which it should be applied by the eternity to which it must conduct and in which it shall at last be absorbed. That's what it is to number our days. In short, it's to live with eternity in mind. To live with eternity in mind. We need to live with our eyes wide open to the shortness of life, the certainty of death, the fearfulness of God's wrath, the awful foolishness of sin that we're guilty of, and yet the gracious instruction in the way of salvation that the Lord offers. For that's, that's where the psalm turns after the prayer of verse 12. It's, it, the psalm closes in the last few verses speaking of the joy of having the Lord's favor, and, and which we know comes through the removal of our sin guilt, through the pardon bought by the blood of Christ who bore our sins in his body on the tree. And so let me say a word by way of application to you who are listening who may not have had your record cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Make this your prayer to God in this new year. Pray it from your heart. Lord, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. As uncomfortable as it is, consider the law which you have broken. Think about the Ten Commandments. Read and study the Sermon on the Mount and and see how far short you fall of God's holy law and consider his words that 
As it says in Galatians, if, if you keep the whole law yet offend in one point, you are guilty of all. And consider as this psalm reminds us of the fearfulness of God's wrath, think about what that sin deserves. Think about the power of God and imagine the terror of having all of that infinite power against you for all of eternity. Think upon those things, the, the despair, the eternity, the horror of hell. But don't stop there. Don't stop there. Let that fear, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of knowledge, let that drive you next to the cross so that you can see this is why I need this Savior. This is why I need the one who took that infinite debt upon himself and paid it in his very life and blood for me because he loved me and was willing to give his life for mine. This is why I need this Christ. This is why there is, there is no hope for me in my own righteousness, but only in the sacrifice of Christ. Think of his cross, his death, his resurrection, and put your faith in him. Rest your confidence in him. Believe that it is only through Christ's death that your sins can be pardoned and that you can escape hell and receive his eternal favor. And may the Lord teach you to number your days in 2023, living them wisely in the light of eternity by coming to Christ and being reconciled to God. To the Christian, to you who believe, you who repent and receive this Jesus as your Savior and Lord of your life, let me say a word of application to you. What comforting promises we have in the gospel. What good news we have in Christ. As we read this psalm, we can read it as, in many ways, as the, the dreadful condition that we have escaped, right? We no longer are those whose secret sins are sitting there like a stinking pile of manure in the sight of God's holy purity. We are no longer those whom God looks upon with with displeasure as, as traitors and, and treason, uh, treasonous people who've rebelled against his lordship. Rather, we are his children who have been adopted into his family. We are those whose sins have been washed away, whiter than snow, by the blood of Christ. Now for us, death has lost its sting and the grave its victory through the one who himself died. And though we may return to dust for a time, this will be just a phase in the metamorphosis as we, as we transform into glorious, resurrected bodies. As death no longer ushers us to the second death, but it brings us to our Savior and His eternal life. Death has no power over us any longer. But for us, even though we can, we can read this psalm and rejoice seeing what Christ has delivered us from, we still, as believers, have reason to pray, teach us to number our days. For now, each day we live is a gift from our Savior, an opportunity to, to live for the one who has died for us. You know, he could have forgiven all of our sins and just teleported us right up into heaven, but instead he's chosen to leave us here for a time. He's given us the honor and the privilege 
of introducing others to his gospel and his salvation. He's, he's even promises to reward us for our work here. He's, he's given us a place in his service, and he promises to richly reward us. Now we have the promise that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. And we have the, the call of our Lord and Savior who says to us, lay up treasure in heaven. Lay up treasure in heaven. And so how will we number our days as those who have been forgiven? How will you do that in 2023? Will we foolishly waste away the time that we have and trivial entertainments and little hobbies and pastimes in the garage, on the golf course, on the beach? Things that will, that will mean nothing in eternity. Is this how we will spend the, the little brief moment of time that we have here in this world before we meet our Savior? Living for ourselves? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against a little rest and relaxation, an occasional getaway or vacation, but, but beware of getting sucked into the wormhole of American consumerism, which makes an idol out of rest and relaxation and leisure and retirement that says, hey, this is, this is the goal of life. Work your tail off so you can retire and spend your last years on the golf course and on the beach. And it makes, it makes that an end to itself. That's, that's not the way Jesus taught. No, we, we're to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. We're to be laying up treasure in heaven. Our treasure's not here on earth. Our treasure's not our 401k. Rather, let us wake up each morning thanking God for another day on earth to serve him. Let's, let's, as the song says, take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let's pour out our lives with, with every bit of life we have as living sacrifices to him who poured out his life as a dying sacrifice for ours. Let us wake in the morning, remembering that before we've come to our beds again in the evening, we may be standing before our Savior. We may see Him face to face. This may be our last day on this earth. Let us do all the good we can while we're here and there's time to do it. So teach us to number our days. My friends, if we're to number our days, we must learn to number our hours and our minutes. As uh, a Mr. Samuel Johnson, uh, old dead guy, <laughs> I was reading this week, he had some practical words to say on this. He said that, that wise men of old have informed us that the fatal waste of a fortune of wealth is by small expenses. You know, a little here, a little there. Before you know it, your fortune is all spent. Your budget is broken. You know, these little sums of money by themselves, he says, they, they don't alarm our caution, and which we never suffer ourselves to consider altogether. Of the same kind, he writes, is the prodigality, the, the waste of life. He that hopes to look back hereafter with satisfaction upon past years must learn to know the present value of single minutes and endeavor to let no particle of time fall useless to the ground. 
So there's wisdom in being intentional with your time and in planning and scheduling. Isn't this an aspect of, of discipline and self-control which, to which God calls the Christian, part of our Christian character? And while we ought not to be too rigid with our schedules, you know, we don't, we don't want to be so inflexible with our, with our planning and our scheduling that we turn out to be like the guy who passed by the man on the side of the road who'd been robbed and say, oh, I've, I've got to get to the temple. I've got important things to do. You know, we need to be ready like that good Samaritan to let our schedules be messed up from time to time as the Lord places divine appointments in our way. But for, the, for many of us, though, we could probably use a bit more intentionality, a little more discipline when it comes to how we spend our time. My, I know this is especially true um, my wife and I, early in our marriage, we realized that we, you know, we're very, we were very spontaneous. We would just kind of do things, kind of live by the moment. And, you know, we, we would not usually plan what we would do in the evening until the afternoon. And uh, oftentimes we would fall into the same old routine, you know, let, like, what are we going to do tonight? Well, let's go, to our, let's go to your family's house. Let's just go hang out. Let's have, you know, our good friends over. And that, there was, that was good. It was good fellowship. But we began to think, you know, we don't really have many conversations with non-Christians. We haven't shared the gospel much lately. I mean, we haven't even been around many non-Christians. We started thinking, do we even know any? <laughs> and we, of course we did. We, we sat down, we made a list. Like, here's a bunch of non-Christians that we know. We're not close with them, but we have some relationships. I bet if we invited some of these people over to our houses for supper, they would come. But you know, that, that's never going to happen unless we plan. We've got to put it on the calendar or else it's not going to happen. We've got to be intentional. And so we're still learning that. We're trying to get better at that. But, you know, just as there's wisdom in budgeting our money, there's also wisdom in budgeting our time. So teach us to number our days. Since they are each a precious gift to be invested in eternity, or wasted on triviality. Let us take care and give due consideration and prayer to how we spend them, to where we invest our time. Let's not spend them in 2023 thoughtlessly, but wisely, living in light of eternity. Lord, may our prayer be, Lord, teach us to number our days. Living in the shadow of the Savior's cross, and in the dawning light of the eternal day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, confess we have often wasted time and in sin. We have wasted time on vanity on emptiness and, and things that will mean nothing when we face you. But Lord, help us as those who love you, as those who have been washed in the blood of Christ and delivered from eternal wrath and delivered unto eternal life, as those who will very soon face you. Help us to live each moment with gratitude, seeking to do all that we can in your service. 
out of thankfulness for what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.